Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Exodus 32 is where we'll be uh, working from today. So in your bulletin, it should be there as well, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the Holman uh, Christian Standard, So, but you're welcome to follow along in whichever translation uh, you're using. Verse 1, when Moses failed to come back down the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Look, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. This man, Moses, who brought us here from Egypt, has disappeared. We don't know what has happened to him. So Aaron said, tell your wives and sons and daughters to take off their gold earrings and then bring them to me. All the people obeyed Aaron and brought him their gold earrings. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded and tooled it into the shape of a calf. The people exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw how excited the people were about it, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulged themselves in pagan revelry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I just pray for this uh, time together to hear your word. And God, I pray that you will just uh, open our hearts, Father God. Let us, uh, again, just hear uh, your your teaching today and what you have to say to each of us today. God, let our hearts be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was uh, reading. I had this printed out. I forgot it at home, but I'm going to try to read it here. Uh, Anybody ever heard of Burger King? Of course. Does anybody actually eat there? Yeah. Does anybody actually eat at Burger King? Okay, a few people. I loved, I liked Burger King in the States, but here it hasn't really done a lot for me. But Burger King used to have a slogan, and it was, have it your way, right? Everybody remember that? I think there was even the song, right? Have it your way. Wasn't that the song, right? Yeah? Anyone want to sing harmony with me? So, um, sorry about that. Uh, So, have it your way. But this, this article, they have actually ditched their slogan, okay? So, it says, Burger King is scrapping the 40 year old have it your way slogan in favor of the more personal be your way. Okay, it gets better, don't worry. The chain says the new tagline will roll out across marketing in the U.S., including a TV, begin on Monday night. Okay, this goes on. And then it says, um, Burger King says in a statement that the new motto is intended to remind people that they can and should live how they want anytime. It's okay not to be perfect. Self-expression is most important, and it's our differences that make us individuals instead of robots. And then going down further, Fernando Mercado, Burger King's senior vice president of global brand management, noted in an interview that have it your way focuses only on the purchase. Right, I mean, because who would want to focus on the burger? We need to have this like a, you know, global event when you order something at Burger King. 
um, only on the purchase, the ability to customize a burger. By contrast, he said, be your way is about making a connection with a person's greater lifestyle. So just, I could probably stop preaching there, couldn't I? I mean, that's just enough to chew on for quite a while. But this, this whole idea of have it your way, be your way, is really kind of encapsulates sort of how we can be as, as individuals, isn't it? And that we want it our way. We want it how, how we want it, when we want it. We don't want any problems. We just want it our way. And that's really, if you think about any problem or issue you run into, or even probably wars, if you trickle it down to somewhere, it's some, somebody that wants to have it their way, isn't it? And so really, as we look at this uh, picture from Exodus, it's really about them wanting to have it their way. Now, again, as, as Christians and followers of, when we're followers of Christ, we don't get that luxury, do we? We, and it's not a bad thing either, because really having it our way really is what leads to destruction, leads to suffering, and, and that's really what we have to understand. We may not understand it at times, but God is much greater than we are, and he has a plan and purpose for us, and we, we need to follow him even when we don't understand. So we have this picture of this, as is very well-known event from the Old Testament. And um, I've, I've touched on this a few times in my messages, but I really uh, today just wanted to kind of hone in on it and just spend a, a message really kind of pulling out some things from it. And uh, what I want you to see as we go through this is, is you're going to see some things that they do wrong. It's pretty blazing clear that they made some mistakes. But I want you to see yourself in this scripture, okay? It's not just about, you know, like in the New Testament, we always pick on Peter, you know, for, for what he did and denying Jesus, you know. But do we see ourselves in Peter and, and what can we learn from that? And so today, that's what I want to take from this. So two, one big thing, well, two, two uh, terms we need to cover here at the beginning is whenever they referred to the, to the name God, okay, in this passage. Now, depending on your translation, a lot of people, you'll have a small g God in there if you look. Um, so come make us a God, all right? Do you have that in your Bible? That's, that's a small g. And then there's another um, in verse 4 when they say, uh, then they said, Israel, this is your God, or some translations say your gods. That's another small g, and that's the word Elohim, Elohim. Elohim is simply the word, the phrase for God, for it could be any, any God, you know, any of the Old Testament gods, Baal or whoever would be Elohim. That's just a, a term for God. Then what I want you to notice, though, is at the end of verse 5, when it says there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. I don't know if some of your translations say God there, but the Lord is actually the term uh, Yahweh or Yehovah or what we say Yahweh or Jehovah, we say sometimes. And this is actually the God of Israel. This is, this is our God. Okay, this is the God. And so what you're going to see as we go through this is there's this intermingling of pagan practice and holy sanctified things and a, with a holy sanctified God. And they are trying to pull these two together to make something that's less than what it should be. And so pay attention to these terms as we go through. So again, in the, in the first, in verse one there, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. 
because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So the first thing we see happening here is they've lost their faith or in, in Moses, okay? The, the man who, is, who was chosen by God to lead the people out of Egypt. And, and we have to recognize that this is, a, this is where the slippery slope begins to take shape. They step out and they, 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 they lose faith in Moses. Um, first thing I want you to see is the way they refer to Moses. They, call, they don't say Moses, they say this Moses. Like he's some stranger, like, you know, this guy, this whoever this guy is, you know, he, again, we just a couple weeks ago, you remember we talked about the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen some pretty amazing things you think would lock it in for them. But now Moses has been gone for a few days and now this Moses, where is he? He's gone, you know? And so you, you, can, you can see kind of where their hearts are turning. Another thing too is if, if Moses truly had not come down from the mountain and had obviously what, been killed or struck down or whatever, what would the natural response be for losing your leader? Maybe we should mourn. This guy, you know, who's led us out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, or I mean into the wilderness, out of Egypt, this guy is, has, is probably dead. Maybe we should at least have a funeral. Perhaps that would have gone over better. But again, you're seeing their hearts, their hearts, not just towards Moses, but that they are selfish people. We can all say amen to that. We are all selfish people. And if, if we are not surrendered to God, we, can, we, just, we want it our way. So we see their selfishness coming out. And so they don't even mourn. They refer the way they refer to Moses. And then also too, notice that it's, it's on the, like the 39th day, just before Moses comes down, it's been a long period. They've held it together. Just before he returns is when they grow restless and start to enter into rebellion. And what you're going to see here, and, and we'll get into this as we go along, but you know, it's this, this picture of, of Israel coming out of Egypt is, of course, foreshadowing our coming out of the world. And so if you think about this, and this is where my message is going to go a little bit today, is this idea is as we wait on the Lord, on his return, we must be careful and be diligent in what we're doing and, and the attitude in which we're waiting in. And, and to finish the race, as Paul says, right? And when you get to the very end, that's when we're most vulnerable. Now, how many would agree, I think unanimously, it's been a while since Jesus left the earth? A couple years, right? It's been a bit, a couple thousand years, almost, give or take a few. So it's been a while. And so we must keep our eyes, though, and, and, and not lose focus of, of our faith and keep pressing towards the mark. Acts 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, because I like reading from the, the Bible here. Acts 7, verse 39. I'll read 39 and 40. And it says this. Uh, this is Peter that wrote this. It says, but our ancestors rejected Moses, and here's what I want you to hear, and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. They wanted to return to Egypt. 
What does that mean to us? There is a desire in us to return to the things of our past, to the worldly ways. There is a pull. They, want, they wanted to return to a sense of comfort, even though they were under the rule of, of Egypt. They, they didn't have to want anything or, or they just worked, you know, and they were, they were, they were in this, this scene that they were just comfortable with. Now they were in a, a position of, of unknown. They were in a position of having to exercise faith and trust in an unseen God, right? And so this is, this is something that we need to, to pay attention to in our own lives. See, Moses had been leading the children of Israel to their destination in cooperation with God. All right, where, now where were both of them at this time? Now again, God's everywhere, don't, don't get me wrong, but God is speaking to Moses on top of the mountain. And so what happens as soon as he's away for a while, the people start to do what they do. So they lost their faith in Moses. Continue on reading verse two. Then Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God, or some translations, your gods. Again, lowercase, right? God, this is not the one true God. And it says, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, again, Elohim, this is what is, is speaking of. And it, notice that it says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, again, here they are shifting their faith one step further and they no longer are having faith in Jehovah or Yahweh, their true God, meaning they've now assigned what they're doing or this, this image of this golden calf that they're going to build to the act of God, Jehovah, who brought them out of Egypt to the, to the person of who God is. And this is like, this is very, very dangerous. They took... Um, they took this amazing act of God's mercy, of his love, of his kindness, and his pulling them and calling them out of the world or calling them out of Egypt. And now they've assigned it to somebody that's something else, right? To another God, to this engraven image that they're making. And, and notice too, that they take the very things, the gold, the silver that God had blessed them with and worshiped them instead of the one who gave them the blessings. As we know, when they came out of Egypt, they came out with lots of things, right? They were blessed with the gold and silver. They, they, they left with all kinds of stuff. And now here they are using the very things that God blessed them with. Now make this application. Some of you are nodding because you're starting to see where this goes. The very thing that God blessed them with, they have now turned and have started to make it into something that they are able to worship. They have now taken the, the gift and made it the focus and taken it away from the gift giver for the sake of convenience, for the sake of this they can approach any way they want to because it's something less than holy. And I often think, you know, in our own lives, how does that apply to us? Are there things in our life that God has given us? Are there talents in our life that God has given us 
Are there resources in our life that God has blessed us with that we have now placed in a position that overshadows God himself, the one who gave you those things? They no longer were placing their faith in God, but in this now this thing that they're making. As we continue reading, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Then he made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, and then got up to play. Again, there wasn't seesaws and slides. It's a different kind of play. Hopefully you understand. They were just anything... If you've been to a frat house or seen one, that kind of stuff was happening. And the thing is, this is where it really goes south. And as you see, it says, there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. This is Yehovah. This is Jehovah or Yahweh. This is God. And you see what they've done now is they've They've brought it down the road, and now they've tried to bring it back full circle and stamp our God, the God of Israel, is now this image in front of us. It's bad to worship. It's bad to put a false God in front of you. It's a whole nother level when you have that false God and you put the stamp of Yahweh on that image. Right? They have now put their faith in something that is not God and took the holy name of God, Yahweh, and assigned it to something less, in this case, something made by men. Church, we are in just as much danger of doing this as well if we're not careful. We can take something that's holy, we can take what God is doing or has done or who God is and we can cram it and shove it and try to box it up into something that's much more approachable than a holy, almighty, powerful God. You see, God, there is a demand of how we can approach an almighty and holy God, isn't there? As we read about the priests and all the preparations of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, of course, we have Jesus, but the holiness has not gone away we still must have the reverence and respect as we approach God. But again, some of us, we want to just change who God is to something that's just casual, that we can just approach half-heartedly. You see, the Exodus deliverance, the Sinaitic covenant, and the wilderness experience, and the promised land, they're all shadows of the Christian life meaning they're all glimpses of our life as a Christian and the process that we go through. Moses is foreshadowing Jesus by bringing the people out of Egypt or the world, as we said, and by his constant intercession for them on their behalf to God the Father. Jesus has returned the people to the place or the presence of God the Father. So here we have the mountain, and Moses has brought them to God, right? It's the same as us, and it's through Jesus Christ and his bringing us out of the world has restored our relationship with God the Father. The believer having already, and now get this, the believer having already and unconditionally been adopted into the family of God undertakes 
his or her own exodus. Did you know that you're on an exodus? We are on this journey, and that's why we need to find ourselves in this, this story. We're on this exodus from bondage to sin and evil to servanthood under the new covenant. Christians live out their kingdom pilgrimage in the wilderness of this world system, as it were, pressing toward an anticipation of the eternal land of promise. So we are on a journey. And again, this scene is something we have to guard against. When you're getting tired, when you're getting weary, that's when things can creep in. You're like, maybe, maybe I need to do something different. Maybe I need to try something else. Maybe there's something in the world, something that the way you used to be that starts to creep in that you start to like find comfort in. And these are things that we must guard against. If you would turn in your, your Bible back, uh, if you're in Exodus, go back to Exodus 20. I think this might give us a little better glimpse. In 20 verse 18. Actually, go to 20 verse 1. This is pretty amazing. This is when right, God instructs the people. That God actually speaks to the people here. right? And what he says, you know, it says it's, Funny, if you go to 20 verse uh, 3, God tells them, Do not worship any other gods besides me. Hmm. Do not make idols of any kind. Hmm. Whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish, you must never worship or bow down to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. Hmm. Right? Pretty, do we need to pull out like the original translation or anything and do a study here for two hours to understand what's being said here? No, we don't, do we? It's very clear what God's saying to the people. It gets better. Don't worry. Verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, again, I guess this is true. Uh, you know, I, I always interpret this like don't use the Lord's name in vain, Right? But isn't what they have done misusing the name of the Lord? What they have done is they have assigned this graven golden, this image in front of them, this golden calf, they've assigned the name of the Lord to it. They are misusing the name of the Lord. Verse 18, here we go. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. Again, we have to stop. This isn't a fairy tale. So just picture this in your mind. I mean, this is, this is God, and this is how he rolls into a place, right? Everything starts shaking. I mean, we probably have like four people left here. Everybody would be running out of the building you know, if God really showed up this way. But this is how God showed up. But notice what it says in the end, trembling with fear. And then it goes on, it says in verse 19, and they said to Moses, you tell us what God says and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us. If he does, we will die. Convenience, right? Convenience. Because I don't want to take the time to prepare myself I don't want to take the time to make sure that there is no sin in my life. I don't want to make sure, go through this whole process of sanctification to be able to approach God because I know 
after seeing an almighty God that I will be struck dead if there is sin in my life. So for the sake of convenience and because I want it my way, Moses, will you please go in and, and you speak to God and let him speak to you so that we can do our thing out here. Fear is a good thing at times, a holy fear. Parents should all say amen. If your children do not have a holy fear of you, uh, yeah, it's not a bad thing, okay? So it's okay. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Moses said. And you hear, hear, here's Moses' heart. Now remember, in this light of this comparison between Moses and Jesus. For God has come in this way to show you his awesome power. From now on, let your fear of him keep you from sinning. It's that simple. When we see God, when we, when we truly understand to our intellectual capability of understanding who God is, when we, we know that we are in the presence of a holy God, all right, it is the fear and understanding of who God is that keeps you from sinning. Again, if you look, let's just keep on this line of parents. Those parents that don't discipline their children, those parents that don't instill this respect, we see it, you don't have to go far in society today, especially here, you know, you see these kids and what is the, the parent says something and what do they do? <laughs> Nothing, right? They just keep doing what they're doing. It's because there's no fear, there's no reverence there. It's not a bad thing. And then sadly in verse 21, as the people stood in the distance, we see that they, just, they accepted this, this thought of sending Moses in. In Exodus uh, 14, verse 31, it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord had displayed against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and put their faith in him and his servant Moses. They started out well didn't they? But you see this, this picture from that point to the, the, the passage we're in today with the golden calf. You see that they somehow lost their fear, didn't they? And what did, how did it happen? Is it because they distanced themselves from God. They chose not to enter in. They chose not to get close. And it goes from this point, and then it goes to that point where God spoke to them. And then if you continue reading, it goes on to talk about uh, Moses and a couple men and 70 of their leaders. And it slowly just keeps dwindling down to now you just got Moses. But you see that their hearts had drifted astray. It's interesting that when Moses comes off the mountain, he, uh, he finds this scene of what's going on and he breaks the, the tablets containing the Ten Commandments, right? He slow, again, all of us are thinking Charlton Heston and, you know, tossing them down and um, containing the Ten Commandments. He breaks them and then this is, this is like, this is awesome in my mind. But he, like, he melts the, and grinds the gold calf into powder, right? Mixes it with water and forces the people to drink it. Now that's Old Testament stuff right there, isn't it? That's no joke. I mean, <laughs> oh, this is what you did? But don't we drink and partake of our sin? 
even when God comes in and even when he brings us out of something, isn't there sometimes the leftover things of bad choices, right? I know there's things in, our, in my life that, that I carry because of my sin, you know? And I'm redeemed from it and I get that and God heals and things like that, but it didn't have to be that way. I had to drink that cup, didn't I? And so do we all when we choose sin over God. We must continue on our journey while we are waiting for Christ's return. It's when we become sedimentary that we can get ourselves into trouble. And here's kind of as we wrap this up, we, we must always be checking our hearts to ensure we are worshiping God and nothing else. My prayer for you today is that even in, in this message as you're sitting here, you're checking your own heart. And listen, most of us probably don't have a golden calf in our home in the sitting in the center of the living room that we come in and bow to, do we? No? It's, 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 it's the, the small things, and sometimes it's the seemingly good things that can creep in and, and, and overtake our view of, uh, and our worship of God. How you view your spouse. There are some husbands who literally worship their wives, meaning whatever they want, they get. Whatever they, they say, the husband does. Everybody's looking at each other. Just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me. <laughs> right? Whatever she wants, she gets it, you know, just do whatever. But if you're not careful, she can take that place where you are, in essence, worshiping her above God. Don't worry, we're equal opportunity here. Wives, <laughs> you can worship your husbands if you're not careful. You can put them on a pedestal. They are, they are everything. And again, this stuff sells cards, right? You are my everything. You're the air I breathe. My heart beats in sync with yours. You know, these things, yeah, but that's our society, right? And in, a, in the right context, yes, love each other, respect each other, that's fine. But if you are not careful, you end up worshiping a, someone besides God, right? Now, let me just step all over the parents' toes here. You can even worship your children. Let me say that one again. You can even worship your children. Kids, sorry, you're going to hear this. Listen, and you can tell your parents if they do it, don't do that. Don't worship me. All right? Here's the deal. Notice this is what happens, right? Kids show up. Babies show up. And if you are not careful, we, we, whenever we sit down with young parents, we tell them this. Listen, the child is not the center of your universe. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, we, yeah. <laughs> Listen, we were here before you showed up. Okay, again, before anybody judges me, I'm not saying you don't love your kids. Don't duct tape, tape them to the wall and forget about them for three days or anything like that. Love your children, but they are not the center of the world. And we do an injustice to them and to everybody around when we make them that. Because then they grow into adults who think that the world revolves around them. Yes. That's where we're at today. 
Okay? It revolves around them. It's such a, but we set ourselves up and we set them up. Don't worship your kids. Because you're also teaching them that they are, they become prideful and they become selfish. They'll do that on their own. <laughs> they don't need help. We have to continue to put the focus and attention on God and they're watching us to be that example. Now, again, this can also, when we're checking our hearts, this could be jobs. This could be homes, houses, cars, a lifestyle, income, any of these things. All of, them, all of these things are not bad, but it's the attitude of our heart towards them. It is, do we start to creep, let this creep in and, this, and we begin to almost worship those things? Do those things take priority over your walk with God? I meet with people, you know, and I'm, oh, I'm just so tired out from work and working all these hours and I don't have time to pray. No, no, no. It's like, okay, well, what do you, how do you fix it? Again, I'm not, please don't everybody go out and quit their jobs. But Pastor Dell said, I just need to quit and everything else will take care of itself. Talibot will show up at my doorstep. Um, listen, you have to gauge this. This is between you and God. And if you are struggling that bad in finding time with God and spending time with God and worshiping God and your heart's in the wrong place, if, if that's where you're at, then you've got to make some hard choices, don't you? And it may, it may mean a career change. I don't know. But that's, again, that's get wise counsel, spend time in prayer, figure it out. But you have to put God first. We must worship the Lord. I like this quote from Spurgeon. He says, this, speaking of this whole event, this whole scene here, he says, they wanted something to look at, something visible that they could adore. It was not that they meant to cease worship Jehovah. And this is, this is I, think, I think, a lot of people. And if you're sitting here today and you're being convicted, good. Um, but don't, don't leave hopeless or helpless or um, with your feelings hurt. What I'm saying is that intentions are usually good. It's not that we set out to worship things other than God, but they can creep in. And thankfully, God gives us grace and God gives us forgiveness. And so that's, you know, it's, it's obtainable. You can get there. So I like what he says here. It was not that they meant to cease to worship Jehovah, but they intended to worship him under some tangible symbol. That is the great fault of the ritualists and Romanists they aim at worshiping God, and they must do so through some sign, some symbol, some cross, some crucifix, or something or other that they can see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the first part, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. The whole thing of salvation is uh, initiated, if you will, by faith. We we accept this by faith. Do I have to have faith that you're sitting in front of me, Jasper? No, because you're sitting in front of me. I see you, right? The whole idea of this is that we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's the same, and this is where we see this struggle that took place for them. In verse 11, it says, therefore, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek, seek to persuade people. Therefore, we know, because we know the fear of the Lord. There it is. We must find the fear of the Lord. 
So we're about to prepare for a time of communion. And again, I hope this message has, I hope that the Holy Spirit has shown you some things in your own life. Even when I was preparing for this, it, you know, God did work in my own life and was showing me things where I've, I've, I've made him less in some areas. And I've put things, not that he can be less, you understand what I'm saying, I view him as less. God is God. He is never less. But we tend to put things in between us and him, and we worship those things at times. And again, worship doesn't mean that you physically bow down. It doesn't mean that you create some image in front of you. That can mean just where, where do you spend your time? Where do you put your effort? And, and, and does your walk with God, does your time with God diminish because of something else? God is jealous. I've heard you know, people that have lost jobs and then they later say, you know what? It was the best thing that could have happened to me because they were working themselves into the ground. They were putting things on a pedestal. They were seeking the things of this world more than they were seeking the things of God. Because God is so awesome and God is so gracious and God is loving and cares about us, he, he works it in such a way that he turns this, what seems to be a, this horrible thing, you lose a, a job, but he spins it, doesn't he? And he brings something good out of it. And you, well, only when you're on the other side of it can you really see that, oh, wow, this was something that was r ruling my life. So what does that look like for you today? What is it in your life that you've given first place and made God second in? Would you uh, go ahead and stand? Let me um, pray for you, and then we will move into a time of communion. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for this message today, God, and I thank you that during this time right now, God, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts of your people. God, I, I know that you already are doing that by your spirit, Father, but I pray that you will show us, Lord, the places and the areas in which we've made you second in our lives, where we haven't given you the priority, Lord God. God, I pray that you teach us the fear of the Lord. I pray that, that you show us the only way to experience that or to know the fear of the Lord is by being close to you. But God, to be close to you is, is like stepping towards the light and, and the light can reveal the dark areas of our life. God, help us, help us to, to do that and, and to be willing to look at the places where we fall short and, and we, we need to work on, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to each one here now. And for those that are here that God is sp speaking to or has spoken to or even speaks to this week, this is where the beautiful gift of Jesus Christ and the cross comes in that he has paid the price for your sin. And you simply repent. But then it's not just saying that you were wrong, but it's also a turning away from what you've done. Change needs to come. And God will give you that strength to do that. So Lord, help us today. Search our hearts and reveal what's truly there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.